Welcome into Two Four Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Four Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today with my guy Mike Renner, we got the listener mailbag, the second to last mailbag of draft season. Going to get to get through as many questions as possible, and then also at the back end of the show, we have interviews with former Ohio State linebacker Barrett Browning and then former Syracuse cornerback slash defensive back Trill Williams. Let's get it. We have a lot of questions to get to, so we just got to dive in. Dive before, in. Before we do, though, I have one thing. And one thing. We just got to dive in, but I have one thing. Yeah. Baron Browning, when we get to the interview, which is interesting, is I think I think a lot of teams are considering him to rush the passer. Maybe potentially even be a 3-4 outside linebacker, play along the edge a lot more than maybe he did at Ohio State, which I think will be interesting. You should listen to that interview. It's good. Um, all right, jumping to first question on the listener mailbag. And before I jump here, this is the last second to last listener mailbag we're going to do before the 2021 NFL draft. Any question we did not answer. Renner, I need you to commit to this. Any question we did not answer. You need to commit to this. Okay. I, you can send that screenshot of your question to me or Mike in a DM. Our DMs are open and we will answer them before the draft. We we, we just we were going to do the 10-hour live show, but we also have a bunch of other shit going on yeah. in the studio. George Chahuri, you know, chief experience officer here was going to kill me if we did 10 hours of live content. It's going to be a grind. Yeah. We're going to do two more episodes of the mailbag and then any it could be international. It could be Irish. It could be anything. You sent us a screenshot of your question that we didn't get to. I will answer it in the DM or Mike will answer it in the DM. Awesome will answer. <laughs> Mike, you have to commit to this, okay? You have to. You have to. I skew responsibility. All right. no, I, will, I will answer the DMs. Cool. All right. Let's go ahead and get to ace underscore 92101. Great football draft information. However, the dating, drinking, and frat boy banter is annoying and unnecessary. Oh, yeah. I started that one off the top. Wow. Keep us humble. But also... Notre Dame doesn't even have frats, so I could, how could this be frat boy bench? And I wasn't in a frat. Yeah. They didn't let me. Oh. I was <laughs> I in a coffee shop. I was college. in a coffee shop frat. Mike's in the uh, fraternal order of police with his new haircut. <laughs> God damn it. it. He walked right it. into that. I hate it. The fraternal order of police. Hey, could you stitch in on the YouTube video, Quinn, a little badge on his uh, nope. a, little, a little badge on his shirt? How funny would that be? I'll give it a whirl. That would be so funny. All right. Um, anyway, if you if you aren't watching on YouTube, you need to check it out on YouTube because he's got he's got an interesting cut, Sergeant Sergeant Renner. Joe Martinez is asking. Just started listening to the podcast. We say it's now going now my go to. Is there a realistic path to contention with the next few seasons for the Jets based off what they've done for the past two off seasons? Drafting Mekhi Becton and Denzel Mims, loading up on future draft capital, and presumably drafting and building around Zach Wilson. Yeah, I mean hell hell yeah, like that's this is kind of how it how it goes. It's a slow build. You got all this draft capital. Just got to hit. Got to hit on a few of those. And then you can make real deal plays in free agency down the line to get you over that hump into the next level. Kind of like what we saw with the Bills. Like slowly build, build a few pieces here and there in free agency. Draft well. Hit on that quarterback. And then get a few more pieces here and there in free agency because it gets a lot easier to build that roster when that quarterback's making not a lot of money. So that's why I say hit valuable positions here hit valuable positions so you can fill out your roster with like a guard if you need be in free agency a you know a run stuffing dt mm-hmm. i know they have dts for days but like you know what i'm saying like a position that you can go find in free agency maybe you're not finding a top flight corner a top flight tackle yeah 
I think at 23, they should look at corner or tackle. I really like them, especially getting ahead of Pittsburgh at 24. You can snag Tevin Jenkins before the Steelers do at 24 and pair him up with Mekhi Becton, Zach Wilson. And and call me crazy, I'm buying into the culture in New York. I really like Robert Salah. I really like Joe Douglas. I'm excited about what they're building over there. They got, in my opinion, the top coaching candidate special herb okay no herbs herbs the man but he wasn't really herb over sala no No way herbs the fucking man no herb slander on this pod i'm not saying there's herb slander but there's no way he's the top coaching candidate this offseason i mean he wasn't even a candidate you got him because you had you know you know who had a similar you know had a similar take is when the raiders signed gruden he wasn't even a candidate they just got him they learned about the booth okay well gruden never won a ship with two different teams so yeah it was college but anyway this is from turves now that a majority of quarterback pro days have concluded for this year's draft, how do you cumulatively rank the top 10 QBs from the last three years? Uh-oh. We've got to do this again. Okay. Renner. make a fucking graphic out of this. We're, we're not going to make a graphic out of this. Can you just rank them as prospects, though? This is what I'm ranking them as prospects. Okay, because your one. take on after seeing Herbert last year and not having him ahead of these guys was kind of freaking absurd. Yeah, I got death threats. And you should have gotten death threats. That was kind of insane. Someone called me the R word. I was offended. What's the um, R word? Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Offended, offensive stuff. Sorry. But all right, top ten. Renner, and you Damn, did that, that to sucks. me. You did that to me. <laughs> I didn't do anything to you. Top ten. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, the top prospect. Joe Burrow, number two. Kyler Murray, number three. Zach Wilson, number four. Justin Fields, number five. Tua Tagovailoa, number six. Trey Lance, number seven. Mac Jones, number eight. Justin Herbert, nine. Dwayne Haskins, ten. Herbert after Mac Jones as prospects. That's how we have. Yeah, that's how the boards shook. I think I would, I think in hindsight, maybe flip just as prospects, maybe Murray over Burrow, but I don't know. Cause they're both what? No more overall players on our board? Yeah. Burrow. Burrow's dude. I'm not worried about Burrow. Fair. You see the knee scar? I think everyone and their mother did. Yeah. I think how looks vicious, dude. That thing looks vicious. I mean, if people see it in ACL, that's how it goes. Man, it's turns over time. All right. This is from C. Van Warm. Worm, maybe. The Vikings have to have to take Slater, Derisar, or AVT at 14. But if they if they trade down into the 20s, what lineman would be their best option? Also, could we get more depth and in a more in-depth breakdown of Nico Collins? We've talked to Nico Collins. We did the Nico amount. Collins breakdown. I'm appalled by the amount of Michigan fans asking me questions. I assume that's a Michigan fan. Maybe not. It's Vikings. But I'm appalled by the amount of Michigan questions. Fewer, please. Um, Tevin Jenkins, we just said in the 20s. I'd love. Uh because he's got some inside-out versatility there. I, if I'm them, I'm attacking tackle, though. Yeah. Like, I'm not, sh- not sure I need a guy who's inside-out versatility. Um, and I push back on have to go one of those guys at 14. You don't necessarily have to. Mm-hmm. There's tackles you can find elsewhere in this class. But if one of those is on the board, they're all very good players. So, yeah. Fair enough. Go back and listen to previous podcasts to listen to the Nico Collins hype train. I will say this, though. we got to make a trip. If we do the tailgate tour this fall, Ann Arbor, man, looks awesome. I was there. You can't drink in the stadium. That's my co- colleges. Really? Yeah. I covered a game there one of my first years in Cincinnati, UC versus Michigan. And um, I was floored. Like, how do you not drink in the stadium? Ohio State only did it like a couple of years ago. Notre Dame only has one section that you can, that people, you have to pay like My a dad fee came to that to... game and wanted to kill me. Because yeah. I was covering it, it from sense. the booth and he wanted to come hang out in Cincy. And... He wanted to stab me. He like went out to the parking lot and bought beers off people and tailgating. It was a, it was a bad sense. situation for him. Um, all right, this is from Austin Camp Bench 225. Holy shit. Wow, that was shot fired. Shot fired here. Ouch. Catching strays. I can definitely bench 225. Maybe not anymore because I've been cutting. 
but yeah, but I could definitely. We, we got some uh, flack on that comment. For, it was what like a couple weeks ago. We were talking about Devonte Smith benching. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people that said you couldn't bench 225, or I couldn't bench 225. I could definitely bench. I, I can bench my, 225 in my prime. I could bench 225. I think I got six to eight times. Easy, not easy. <laughs> it was like my max. I've ever, that was the most I've ever done. I remember there was an off season. Yeah, I was trying to get to like ten, and I. Got like six to eight once. Do we really think Devontae Smith can bench 225 now? He's only 166 pounds. He's got really long arms too. That would be tough. I think he can. There's no way he can do not one. Who did one? Someone did one this year. Was it Puka Williams? Did one bench rep? Like he got hops on the bench, does one. I didn't know that. That's wild. I saw, yeah. All right. Well, let's get past this slander. Do you guys think that Giants could potentially form a top-tier defense with the addition of Micah Parsons to complement Blake Martinez? I feel like this would be a really good fit if Patrick Graham could let Parsons fly like he did at Penn State while Martinez commands the defense. I've had multiple questions about Micah Parsons to the Giants at 11. because I love the Parsons fit there. Because they have like the, the Graham guy. He's a former Penn State guy and a lot of connections there. And that's a defense that could let him rush the passer. Because they kind of use a true 3-4 outside linebackers who use those types. Kyler Fackrell. Was dropping into coverage a ton last year, and rushing like not a pure fifty-fifty split, but there's a role in that defense where you could let Micah Parsons fly as a pass rusher, as he said. I like it. Am I going to pass on one of the wide receivers? Probably not for Micah Parsons. Fair. It's probably not. But if, if like you trade down, which Dave Kettleman said he, he might, might do trade it down, year. never done it in the first. Uh, can I? Ha- I have I have a gripe, something that really grinds my gears. My least favorite tweet in draft season is this Fun team. No, no, that's my favorite. It's becoming my favorite. Okay. My least favorite one is any tweet from a reporter that says they're interested in trading down or trading their pick. I I would rather I would rather burn my account before I tweet that. Every fucking team is interested or not interested in trading their pick. But you think everyone's like, no, not a chance. Phones are closed we have no the phones Jaguars are off are. the phones are literally off we're not listening to any trades we're not doing anything sorry what what the fuck have you ever seen a tweet that comes out i that guess says, if that's the case that's interesting yeah that that's what i'm saying okay. have you ever seen a tweet of the other side have you ever seen Bengals will not trade their pick have you ever have I'm i mean asking. what's the number one i think the Bengals last year they, that got reported that they're not going to trade number one okay number one outside the number one overall pick okay yeah i no. don't think i've ever seen a tweet where someone's been like there's not a chance we trade out every single one's like yeah we could why even send that out? It yeah. makes no sense. It has no value at all. I'm sorry. It just has no value. This team might trade out. Sick. I might fucking grow two inches. Who knows? All right. Let's go ahead and jump to. <laughs> let's go ahead and jump to people from Go Dogs 417. People are talking about what the draft would be like this year if Sam Darnold was in this class. But my question is, what would be, what would the top ten look like if Trevor Lawrence wasn't in this draft? Also. This is more of a comment. I played high school football against Doriel Green Beckham. Oh, man, that guy was a monster. If you remember him, yeah, I do. He led us up for 300 yards and five TDs. Who's the best high school players you guys have ever seen live? Interesting. Right, you so never played high school football, but who did you watch anything live? Yeah, yeah. so Michael LaShure was the guy. Oh, nice. Um, former Lions running back, former Illinois running back. He was a monster. Yeah. I, so the, kind of the rumor was that he was on you know, PEDs in high school. 5'11", so I went back and looked at his combine. He was 5'11", 227. Ran a four five six and has thirty eight inch vertical with a one five three ten split and a six eight two cone. The guy was a horse. And he tore his Achilles before he ever played a game, I think, in the NFL. And that maybe lends some credence to the PD argument because he never came back. Um, I played against the Atkinson brothers at. They played for oh, Bishop yeah. Dad. They played for, for Bishop Dad. And uh, uh, those guys were nasty. 
They yeah. were they were nasty. I tackled one one of the running backs on special teams, and then the corner they played corner too. They were fucking good, dude. They were didn't, just like uh, faster and more athletic than everybody on the field. Didn't one of them commit suicide? I think so. Yeah. That was Rest sad. in peace. That um, was not, yeah, that is sad. But yeah, uh, I remember Lashur went for over 300 yards of playoff game, and then he went and played defensive line for in the fourth quarter. I was like, what the fuck? He was just a running back. Um, we had a we had a playoff game against Cal High. I don't know the name of the player, but he had a full ride to Oregon. I was playing defensive end against this kid. I was, he was getting absolutely wrecked. It was just not even That's fair. Tough. He's like six foot five. I have like 28 inch arms. I'm just getting dogged in the post, but uh, that was uh, fun. All right, the top 10 without Trevor Lawrence. I'm not sure it changes. Just like bump dudes up. You get Wilson one, Fields, Lance two. Yeah. Like I think kind of the top three is still goes QBs and I think honestly the 49ers probably still would have came up and made a play for a quarterback there's some rumors that they could be going after Lance now it's just flipping from Jones to that Fields was zero, to Lance. zero lines yeah. take right off the rip Lance is so interesting to me he's just so he hasn't played football he hasn't played a lot of football man like yeah. un- unprecedented I mean you have him behind Micah Parsons on PFS draft board yeah it's just I don't know it would just scare me to draft him that highly with just You've barely seen the guy. Yeah. Like really. And like I said, like it's almost unprecedented how little we've seen of him. Mm-hmm. But the oh man, the physical tools are pretty crazy. All right. This is an absolute novel from Ben Scheimer. As the one who asked about the Philadelphia Eagles breaking the NFL with throwing running backs in jail and hurts, I'm clearly searching for hope where little can be found right now as a fan of the team. I've been the biggest J.J. Ortega Whiteside defender since he was drafted and have received incessant ridicule from my friends for this. And so has Mike. I was almost ready to jump ship, and then he made a one contest. I remember this one, too. The one contested catch in Week 17 when he threw the game against the football team. was all for that, and he got me back on the board. Uh, I'm back on board, too. Back on board. I proceeded to watch YouTube video highlights, various routes he ran that game, and saw he was open a decent amount of the time. Hertz either missed him or didn't find him. How did PFF evaluate his performance that game? And is it possible he could break out still under a new coach and quarterback? Or should I finally stop losing bets, banking on at least 500 yards from the guy? Dude, I'm I'm still all in. You go watch tape. He's not he's not like bad. Like go. I remember going back <laughs> and watching Nelson Aguilar tape early in his career, and it's like that guy is getting dogged. I remember he got pressed by Captain Munderland in the slot and didn't get off the line of scrimmage. Fucking Captain Munderland. That's not like J.J. Arthago Whiteside. It's not looking like that. And I just want to remind people, the you know, wide receiver development, it's kind of a newer thing that guys just put up numbers right out the gate. Jordy Nelson's stats was the comp that I had for him coming out. Oh, nice. 366 yards as a rookie, 320 yards in year two for Jordy Nelson. He would have been getting dogged for that pick nowadays if Twitter was around back then and only 582 yards in his third year. He did not, he was not the Jordy Nelson we know and love and boy, do we love him until year four. So something to keep in mind. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. Tyler Boyd sucked right away too. Some guys suck. Sometimes it's not. Some guys suck. Can you put that (laughs) on a quote graphic? And then they don't. And then they don't. All right, let's go. um, Mom. 019357. It's your mom's name. <laughs> I was wondering what your opinions are on Frank Darby and Mark Gilbert. Two Arizona State guys? No, Mark Gilbert's the uh, Duke cornerback. Frank Darby. Interesting. The... Frank Darby, Arizona State, Mark Gilbert, Duke. Yes. Um, Darby is kind of a one trick vertical threat guy. And he wasn't particularly good at that trick, to be honest. I, I, not high in him. I think he's outside the top 200 on the PFF draft board. But there's some interesting physical tools there. I know, I think he's higher, Nate Tice was higher on him than we were. 
Gilbert, and like I said, I think I've talked about this. 2017 tape, fantastic. Mark Gilbert breaks his hip or dislocates his hip. Costs him the next two years, 2018 and 2019, with like multiple complications. He would have been a, easily a day two guy after that 2017 tape, but obviously that hip injury was not the same this past year. He's almost 24 years old. It's like a sad, very sad story, honestly, but barely late day three if you're going to take a flyer on a guy, if at all. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, jumping to Mace Pack 03. What are some realistic expectations for the Broncos in the 2021 season? Answer these with different situations. What is it with Locke, with veteran help, a Donald or a Minshew? <laughs> Sorry. I will, I'll go. I'll say. <laughs> what is they doing? What I'll is it, Donald or. If not, obviously not Donald, but like that's. They I'm interested get. to know what veteran help of Donald or Minshew does. I'm interested to know how. how I mean, my... it replaces Locke after four weeks. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Locke by himself. So no Donald or Minshew at his side. Yeah. Eight and eight. <laughs> and then Locke with a high rookie draft pick. So no lock. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I still think you're, I still think realistically you're in the nine and seven, eight and eight conversation. Fair. I could bump it up to 10. 2021 is not your year for the 10, 10, 6, 11, 5, like, you know, lock hits, but that's a, that's a tough sell. This is from arm chair linebacker. How have QBs, Wilson fields and others grown from year one starters to year two? And is it that indicative of common growth patterns that one year wonders miss out on? Um, so, so developmental curve is different for everyone, obviously. Like you can't completely project, especially with quarterback, where it's such a mentally driven position, such a confidence driven position, such a like comfortability driven position. Um, with Wilson, you definitely saw the confidence increase this past year. Like he's trying throws and doing things that just you don't do unless you have complete command of an offense. If you're just completely in control, and he played so loose. Fields, I think the biggest thing with him is that we didn't see a ton of year-on-year -year incremental increase. In fact, the things that everyone dinged him for heading into the year are the things people are dinging him for now and is why people are low on him. So um, that's kind of the worry with, I guess, like the one-year wonders when a guy doesn't have a lot of sample size is that it's not, especially with quarterback position, not always a super linear progression. Um from year on year, whereas other positions, I think you can assume more of the linear progression, more of positions where you're in complete control, whether it's like D-line, D-line, O-line is the one where I always point to. It's like you, you guys get better throughout their careers because one, physically so driven, and two, it's like you're in, you control every interaction. It's not necessarily, you're not relying on other people and you can't be made to look better than you were or vice versa. Fair enough. All right, let's go ahead and jump now to Browns have best fans, 88. What pass rushers could be available at 59 if Browns go wide receiver? Bateman if he drops or someone else. What wide receiver could be available at 59 if we go defensive end at 26? Which combination of two players offer the best short slash long-term outlook, assuming wide receiver, defensive end in that order? Love what they did with the Clowney signing. So not necessarily massive need, but 59, Peyton Turner, if we're looking at defensive end Ooh. in that range. It's the intriguing guy for me, day two. Ridiculous build. Ridiculously productive, but only in four games this past season. The Houston defensive end. Fan of his game. Wide receiver at that point. We're going to say Diamond Brown for everybody. I'm not sure he's there. Josh Palmer. 
likely will be there. Some size, some vertical threadability. That's where I'd go. That's where I'd be. Josh Palmer, 59. Let's see it. Let's see it. All right, New York Giants fan, fanatic for life. Um, what do you think of the idea of teams weighing consensus draft boards and mock drafts in their drafting process. It seems to me that teams Uh-oh. that na- naively place too much trust in their scouting process end up making the worst picks. Oh, no. Did you ask this question? I didn't ask this up? question. I'm not saying they shouldn't think for themselves, but sometimes isn't it isn't the boring pick the good pick? I'm going to comment here. I don't think you should blindly go off of the consensus board. That would be ridiculous. I do think, could you do better than most teams like that? Absolutely. You also, but the consensus board doesn't nearly factor in positional value as much as it should. I think you could lean positional value and factor that in more into the consensus board. I think the other thing, what you use the consensus board for is you have your board. Hopefully that factors in positional value that understands the market value of the best positions in the NFL and then use the consensus board to avoid reaches. Like that, that's the number one thing to use it for. Avoid reaches with the consensus board. If you have a guy on your board that's 20th and on the consensus board is like 80th or 90th, like take us who's 21st on your board <laughs> like like who's who's the second guy who's 21st or 22nd on your board and where they rank that consensus go get a guy that maybe because you don't know who's going to fall you don't you don't know who's going to fall but you can still take really good players don't pass on you know don't force a guy that's 90th on the consensus board but 20th on your board over a guy that's 21st and like 30th or even higher or whatever it may be like Play the game a little bit. This is a game. Play the game a little bit. You know, there aren't significant reaches. You can do data analysis over the past three or four consensus boards that the Athletic Athletic has put out and see how big the reaches have been in the first round. How often are players reached above, you know, 10, 20, 30 picks? And it's rare, very rare. For that reason, avoid reaches with the consensus board. Avoid taking guys that are viewed by 50 other talented people, or maybe not all 50, but a good amount. Take the you know take the opinions of them into account when you're like selecting a player. It's all I'd say. Just factor it in. If you ignore it completely, you're, it's malpractice. I'll say that right now. All 32 GMs. If you ignore it completely, it's malpractice. How do you feel about that? Good answer. Good answer. Kill my family feud. Good answer. What would good you, answer. you you what would you do if you had if you were a GM right now? How much would you factor a consensus board into your decision making? I'm not sure it's consensus board, but it's where's the public opinion on these mm-hmm. guys? Okay, yeah, so, public opinion. Like what? Are you out on a limb yourself? If you are, not not saying don't make the pick. Ask why. Why am I out on a limb on a guy? Yeah. Talk to Do other scouts. Do you have a valid Talk reason, or is it just I I think this guy's good? I think his talent's better than at least have the conversation. Saying. If it's just I'm evaluating this guy's talent better than everyone else, you're probably wrong. It's yeah. There's reason to believe that. Maybe it's you. Yeah. You know? Maybe it's Maybelline. All right. It's like, um, you know, I'm like 30 years old, still single. Tried a lot. Maybe it's me. <laughs> I'm, still dad, not, I'm not at that point, but maybe. My but. dad's been through three or four divorces. Maybe it's him. You know, it's very similar. All right. Yeah. Why Eric Ebron? Hey, guys, I'm a Detroit Lions fan. Super Bowl 65 is ours. And I was wondering if we got Panay Sewell in the first round, who and or what position could we target in the second and third rounds? One, that would be fucking awesome if they got Panay Sewell. Yeah. Oh, that's dream scenario right there um no positions off limits I, I think edge is maybe the only position i'd say don't go for you've invested a ton of money there I'm, I'm not sure a guy sees the field anytime soon if you draft one there but i wouldn't put any position off limits that and tackle obviously because you just went back tackle on Sewell. but that that's really it in my opinion you don't have there's a reason you're drafting you know seventh and there's a reason you might be drafting there again next year so there's a lot of holes in that roster so we got attack deep, to attack deep classes. I think you could even go interior off the line there. Um, 
wide receiver, any of those. Um, jumping off the Lions here, I definitely think for my take on the Lions, the Lions should be the last. The last thing as a Lions fan or as a Lions front office should be thinking about is positions, dude. This team is garbage. You need to go out and get the best players. Yeah. You need to go get players at valuable positions and retool so, this roster. Not. Not a tight end. Yeah. Not a Jelani Savai. No. <laughs> like not, the, <laughs> no, no box player. No, no running backs. No tight ends. None. Yeah. Don't draft them in the first 100 Man, picks. Man, it really was malpractice how the the positions they were drafting. Yes. I don't care about the players. The positions they were drafting. So maybe I shouldn't say they shouldn't think about position. They yeah. probably should. But actively but, do not take box players, running backs, and tight ends in the first 100 picks. Just don't. Yeah. Your roster's not good enough to take those luxury picks. It's yeah. not. It's not. Go take tackles, edge defenders, Corners, receivers, guys that are more valuable. Quarterbacks even. Go swing the bat on Trask or Mond or Davis Mills. I don't know. What I found interesting about the J2O Sullivan thing, we haven't talked about this a ton. That was on the, I think, the Monday podcast. J2O Sullivan joined the show. He has Kellen Mond as QB5 ahead of Mac Jones. Yeah. And that is a joke. Like, he was, like, legit, (laughs) you know, like, Kellen Mond, I think, is better than Mac Jones. I think that's interesting. Uh, We also didn't bring up your Chipotle Chipotle Bowls. Your Chipotle Bowls tweet was fantastic. I really appreciated that one. Could you tell me what you think Mac Jones would get? Oh, Mac Jones. He would like, he would actually get a burrito. Yeah. I think. 100%. Um, What's wrong with that? <laughs> I mean, just, he, he just would. We're What's just keeping wrong it real with here. That? He would get just the burrito. Coming from the top rope. What's wrong with that? Definitely white rice. Probably pinto. Pinto. Yeah. No fajitas. Pinto beans. Chicken. Or oh, wait. Could be a, could be a steak guy. Yeah. He could be like a carnitas guy or Ooh. something. There's not a lot of Double steak. guys out there. Double steak. Double like, steak. That's and then, the and then definitely just the the plain salsa, the mild the red one, yeah, the mild salsa, and probably sour cream and cheese, queso too, and queso. That's it. It's fire and a side of chips. All right, uh, let's go ahead and get uh, Fenner and, t- uh, six shots tequila. You love to see it. I was gonna say there was one. I was one step away from a bad joke. All right, mm-hmm. with the step, I, I I'm gonna hold it in. I'm gonna bring it in. All right, this is from Fenner Ty four four. What would it take for my Broncos to trade up with to four with Atlanta to swing at QB this year? Or what is the possible scenario for who they would get with them trading back at nine or even staying there? Oh, God. I just blacked out. Um, <laughs> trade up for Broncos, QB, possible scenario. Um, I think a 2021 first, obviously, and a pro- probably like a third as well this year. First third this year, first next year. I think that'll get it done from a last perspective. Yeah, you want that. You want a future first. Like you want to build. You want that. You're if you're Atlanta, that is so much making so much more of an impact on your roster than one Cal Pitts. It just is. You got to do it if you're Atlanta. If someone's throwing that type of offer at you, you flat out got to do it. Fair enough. I like that. I think Denver, in my opinion, really does have to get aggressive with trading up, man. I really like their spot. They're in a really good spot now. Carolina is likely not going to be calling. The only teams they're probably going to be competing with for that spot is maybe New England at 15. I don't think Washington wants to come all the way up, you know, to spend that much draft capital to come all the way up. Yeah. I think Denver, they're in the best position to do so and arguably in one of the worst quarterback positions in the NFL. Yeah. I think it, it's really – it's not going to happen until draft day, though. It's really going to depend on what the San Francisco 49ers do at three. You know, if it's Mac Jones, it's a different conversation. If it's Fields, if it's Lance, it all depends on how, obviously, the Denver Broncos do the class as well. Could be. All right. This is from Dan – RF 46. Thoughts on Broncos at nine? Oh, another Broncos question. Would it be crazy to pick receiver and add to Sutton, Judy, Hamler, and Patrick? Um, and Patrick, so Tim Patrick. Um, obviously, Cam Sutton and Tim Patrick are in contract years. I think it'd be a little crazy. One, that guy probably doesn't see the field year one. Two, 
don't, like you want to resign Sutton. It's good business to resign good players that you drafted. Obviously, you're not always going to be like Alpha ACL, but um, and I kept saying, I kept saying about the 49ers, they're going to make a move for the quarterback. I think the Broncos are going to make a move for the quarterback. Mm-hmm. They just have the most sort of incentive to do so. Yeah. Of any of those teams. The Panthers did, obviously, but they made their move prior to the draft. Now, the most incentivized team to go get one, in my opinion, is the Denver Broncos with just where they are as a roster, where they've been as a roster, and their quarterback play ever since Peyton Manning retired. All right. Rams, family, or Ramley and NC. Rams have had a lot of turnover, but do you, turnover, but do you think it would be redundant to go edge with their first pick? second round and drafting Terrell Lewis at basically the same pick last year. Yeah, I think a little, unless that guy's a Carlos Basham, Peyton Turner, who can kick inside. Gap versatility. Yeah, that's that's the only type of edge defender I'd go just because you got Leonard Floyd now signed somewhat long-term deal in free agency. You have Terrell Lewis, who looked you know fairly good, promising. Yeah, I, I just, you're you're in a, the win-now window. You're You're in the guys that can impact this team. So if a guy's not going to be able to see the field, I think that's just, that doesn't fit their strategy. I also feel like that the Denver Broncos aren't, I mean, they're, the receiver the receiver is not going to like change the outlook of this team. I mean, they're going to be put in such a bad spot. Yeah, it's the diminishing returns aspects. Like, those guys are getting open. Yeah. If you can't, if you can't fucking make it happen with those guys, um, one other guy that's open isn't going to, you know, yeah. not going to help you much more. All right, this is from Fifty Shades of Ray. My question is about the Seahawks and their inability to draft in the early rounds. Why have they been so terrible in the early round drafting? Is not paying attention to, to is it not paying attention to positional value, locking into certain positions, scouting errors, a failure to develop players, or a combination of all of those? Probably a combination. But if you were in charge of the draft for the Seahawks over the past five years, do you think you could have done a better job? Is it bad to say like yes, like every anyone would have? Because it's a lot of this is luck, and I just like we would have done a better job by purely saying, "Hey, I'm not drafting a running back at pick 27." Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I do better than this. you know, like that yeah. guy. Barely. There's now they had some unluckiness. Malik McDowell, their first pick in 2017, obviously not even playing it down after the injury he had, and then getting arrested in a ridiculous video, which I would suggest watching if you haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, so go back their top pick each of the past five years. Jermaine Ifedi, Malik McDowell, Rashad Penny, LJ Collier, Jordan Brooks. There's no rhyme or reason to these guys. Like you got some bad athletes mixed in, some guys who weren't productive mixed in, some guys who were super productive mixed in, but then at not as valuable positions. So I, I don't know what their type is. I don't know what exactly their strategy is. Maybe that's the problem here, but yeah, I think I probably could have done a better job. Like, but that's the thing. It's like the consensus board would have done a better job because it's worth admitting that a lot of this is luck. And that's why you would say target the positions that are going to, if you hit on them, mm-hmm. are going to be more valuable to your team because I, it's still I, luck because you can draft a running back like Rashad Penny who you love coming out and he could still not be great for you. Yeah. That's still a possibility, to, no matter the position you're drafting. So I push back a little bit on the luck conversation. I think where the luck factors in is simply injuries. Like, and like I think luck, luck, a lot of luck is injuries. Like, I don't yeah. think they become different players in the NFL. Like, I, I think a, a lot of the luck is, do they get hurt? 
or do they have off-field concerns that you didn't see coming? Yeah. However, I would even argue that off-field concerns are somewhat workable and somewhat part of your process to either identify before drafting them or to correct after drafting them through development mm-hmm. and hand-holding and those types of things. And I also think that there's no it's not luck that a player that you thought was really good doesn't turn out to be good, you know, unless it's injuries. I think injuries is only really that factors in. If you draft a player that's very good and you your scouting department believes he's good and you're invested in him and you don't turn him into that good player, that's on you. That's you fucking up. That's the team busting. I always come back to players don't bust, teams bust. Unless, again, unless it comes back to injuries. Injuries is something no one can see. You can't predict anyone getting hurt, you know? There's obviously some injury concerns, some flags, and that kind of stuff, but a lot of times injuries are very luck and come suddenly and randomly. But off-field stuff, I think, can be seen ahead of time and developed post-draft. And I also think turning a really talented player in college football into a talented NFL player that never gets hurt is on you. And it comes back to grading the flashes and grading the strengths. Like, there's just no way... I think it's a it's a cop out. It's a cop out for teams and scouts. Like, oh, he just didn't pan out. Miss everyone misses. You know what I mean? He just wasn't that good. It's like no, that was on you, dude. You drafted him. He didn't get hurt, and he still was shit. You didn't. You drafted him poorly, and you scouted him poorly. Fact. Get his ass. I'm there. I'm there. All right. This is from Salah Muhammad twenty eight. I'm a Bengals fan. I'd like to get your insight on what they should do this year. Very simple. Uh, the next question is Bengals related. So. Okay. From Max's 22385. At this point, it feels cemented that the Bengals at five are in a chase for Sewell mode. Maybe Pitts. With one such argument being that offensive line will likely provide more value in, more value in round two versus pass catchers. Is this too much of a short-term view? Sadly, the Bengals are not a one-year fix. So with the influx of talented pass catchers coming into the NFL, with 7v7, seven seven seven, college systems, pass versus league, etc. Am I wrong to say it feels like it would be easier to take a shot at receiver in future drafts, especially if we are hopefully picking outside the top 10 versus trying to hit on a generational offensive tackle prospect in the same range in future drafts? Love the Bengals fans. Love them getting active in the questions. Mm-hmm. This is the question of the offseason, it seems like. It really is. I think I'm come to an official opinion. Uh-oh. I think it's, I think it's Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is the official opinion of the BFF podcast. I think you can find, can yes, you can find a tackle, and and, uh, and this is it's a little crazy. It's, I, I'll admit I'm I'm swinging for the fences here, but Kyle Pitts is just a different animal, and I don't think it's a coincidence that when you have a guy like Travis Kelsey, when you have a guy like George Kittle, when you have a guy that's that dynamic, Rob Gronkowski over the past decade. You have that that dual threadedness, that matchup mismatch. It's just a problem for opposing defenses that can't be replicated. That there's no way to replicate. You can, and, and like, yeah, I love Sewell. Sewell would be number two for me, but that's just a something that every defense you're going to have to face is not going to necessarily have an answer for him. So, mm-hmm. I think Pitts is my official. Pitt, Sewell, and Chase. Pitt, Sewell, and Chase. That's my official. I think opinion. I'm, I might be Pitt's Chase Sewell. Oh, you just, no. Sewell's fucking awesome. You're fucking, no. It's tough. But I, I, that, my but I my favorite can... answer is they can't go wrong. I, 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 yeah, I don't think you can go is... wrong. You draft one of those three players, those three weapons, you know, I'm including Sewell as a weapon, you're going to put your team in a better position. I think you're splitting hairs on who improves your team more. You know, I think you are. You honestly are. Like, how? What? What would you say the percentage improvement your team gets with Sewell over the percentage improvement your team gets with Chase? Like, is it a handful of points? I mean, a half point two five wins. I mean, like, I mean, we're talking in the grand scheme of things. You're trying to win football games. It's not that big of a difference. It's not. 
Like you're just you're in a position to take a really good football player. Go take him. And I think yeah. Pitts is probably the best route. Then I'd go chase Sewell, but you can't go wrong. You really can't go wrong. You're splitting hairs. Who does Burrow want? Who fits in the locker room better? Who's not going to be on the top of a car in, in a strip mall? Most who's the least likely to be on top of a car in a strip mall? All right. That's something you gotta think about. You have to think about that. Nowadays. These things. All right. It's not luck. It's not a craft shoot. Go pick the guy that's not going to do that. Find that out. <laughs> All right, this is from John Doe, 24413. What is the biggest issue with Drew Locke? And do you believe Pat Shermer could be a larger part of the issue than he gets credit for? Interesting. In 11 years as an offensive coordinator head coach, his offenses have ranked in the bottom third of DVOA more times than they've been in the top 10. Yeah, I mean, he went two, what are you, two OCs in two years. Um, obviously not great. But he had a good situation talent-wise is the thing, though, mm-hmm. that – There were a lot of other issues in terms of just like getting the ball where it needs to be accurately, um, being panicky in the pocket. Like there's a lot of things that didn't look better from year one to year two that I, I'm not. I don't think I'd put it's. It was to a degree of badness. He was so bad that it's you can't p- peg it on just an OC, especially again with the talent around. Yeah, I mean I don't think the offensive coordinator is doing wonders for him. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's fantastic, but still Drew Locke, a lot of that issue is on him. All right. This is from why is it always why are we always trying to blame coaches and stuff? I mean, teams, I mean, fan bases love their players. It's crazy. Crazy. Um, this is from OC the Don 93. Zimmer said Vikings will take the best player available at 14. Who do you think that will be the best? Who do you think will be the best player at 14? I think it's gonna either be one of the wide receivers, Waddle or Smith, or Michael Parsons. I don't know if they're taking any of those guys. Really? But I do think those will be your best players available at that point in time. Man, that would be sick if they could get Waddle or Smith. They don't use – they use too wide, though, too much. Chad Beebe gets some reps, though. Wouldn't <laughs> mind replacing him with a Waddle or Smith. All right, uh, this is from Joko Jiba. What is currently in the works of PFF? Well, personally, and the company as a whole, what problems are you currently trying to solve and what are you trying to create and stay ahead of an advanced metrics field? Interesting. Also, how does your relationship with NFL teams work? Do they come into you for info when they need it? Or are they dedicated guys constantly in contact with teams around the league? I'll answer. Yeah, answer these. I don't know. Um, currently, in the works PFF from a content and consumer side. Obviously, the content director here. Um, trying to continue to progress forward as betting and fantasy becomes more prominent. The other thing is that we're trying to get into other sports. Potentially, we have an app, right? Coming. Potentially an app coming down the road. Tease that a little bit, Renner. Easy, that's supposed to be behind closed doors. Um, is it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but a lot of stuff on, on the content side is really focusing on how sports betting is probably going to take over the NFL, trying to get in other sports, potentially soccer, potentially rugby, and so forth. And on the NFL team side, you can probably speak to this a lot too, but we currently you know, work with all 32 NFL teams. All 32 NFL teams pay us for access to our data and analysis, uh, access to Ultimate, access to these different things. Also over 95, I think close to 100 FBS college teams I think half the CFL, some arena league, other teams as well. A lot of agents work with us. I'd say a bulk majority of the agencies work with us in some capacity, leveraging data analysis to um, turn, you know, put together contract pitches and those types of things. Um, I think what's next on the NFL side is just continue to provide like interesting insights that help them make decisions at all levels of the field. You know, making decisions on do I sign this player in free agency? Do I draft this player in the draft? Do I go for it on fourth down? Do I, how often do I pass on early downs? Like all these decisions that you have to make. That should be data driven. That haven't been. That have been gut, gut and feel and grit driven. We're trying to add some data, add a layer of data and analysis to that. In addition to obviously diving in other sports, I'm still. This is the first time I brought up on the pod. I'm all for PFF tennis. 
tennis, I think it is such a fixed event sport that the advanced analytics in tennis could be awesome. I think you could get really, really good with advanced analytics in tennis. If you cut the court into slices, into like chess pieces, and then named each one and, and looked at how often certain players are returning, how often is a player returning from Q1 to A4 how, with their backhand, with their forehand, and, and what, what, how often are they placing it in different quadrants or, or different squares of the court? I think it could be really, really good if you got more advanced in tennis. What about pickleball? That sounds awful. What do you mean it sounds awful? I just have no interest in any of that. Um, my suck. relationship with NFL teams is I text them to draft players that I like, and then they never respond. Sounds like your dating relationship. And then too. when they don't, and those guys turn out good, I then heckle them. I try that same route on Tinder, and none of them respond. Yeah. Jordan Brooks was a reach, and I don't get anything. All right, this is from Isaac Saley. What does Liam Eikenberg show on tape to not be higher on your boards? Whew. Um, he's fairly high for a guy who's likely going to end up on the interior in the NFL with you know, 32 what quarter-inch arms. Not great length. He doesn't use his hands exceptionally well. Like He is a two-handed puncher, the dreaded two-handed puncher. Doesn't have independent hand usage. Lacks what I would call high-level traits. He's just solid athletically, not anything special. Very powerful, though, despite being on the lighter end of the position. Uh, I mean, he's very sound, but like he's not exceptionally gifted. There you have it. That, there you have like, it. He's like 53rd on our board. That's, that's still that's high. Pretty, yeah. yeah, it's still very high. I think he's in the top, inside the top 10 of our offensive tackles. All right, jumping to Al Burrito. My mailbag question is, which teams would most likely pull an OKC Thunder and trade their stars for draft capital and young talent that still have potential after a bad start to their careers? Um, oh, I kind of misread this one. Trade the draft capital and young talent. That's still oh okay so that was like the, what the Jaguars just did okay I didn't misread it so like the Jags just did the I would say the Texans but they don't have anyone to trade uh, at this point um, <laughs> I think the Eagles are a possibility to do this because again very analytically driven team obviously that's been the whole talk of the fucking offseason they have a lot of aging guys that you know it was Brandon Graham at thirty four is he going to be on your next Super Bowl team is Fletch Cox thirty one going to be your next Super Bowl team Lane Johnson. Those guys can be on your next Super Bowl team. Those are decisions that have to be made. And if it starts off pretty shit this year, you could see some of those guys getting moved. So I think the Eagles are, my opinion, the strongest possibility to be that team. Jay Jaws has a breakout year. You're flipping Jay Jaws? Possibly. Maybe. Maybe he's the building block that they need. And also, he's not going to have a big breakout year. They're going to pass like 40% of the yeah, time. 3,000 yards. <laughs> All right. This is from Wolves of Sheeple. As a Nebraska fan for 24 years, there hasn't been a lot of talent on the team in the last five to 10 years. Is there anybody at Nebraska? We get a lot of Nebraska questions. Yeah, Nebraska got a big fan base. Anybody at Nebraska on your radar? We should get out to Lincoln. Do you see Andy Staples? So the Super League, the, the, the stupid soccer, whatever thing. Yeah, yeah. Someone explained it to me. But he, he created, said, which college football teams would make their own Super he League. He included Nebraska? And included Nebraska. No, he didn't. Which they weren't included in the Blue Bloods. Um, Nebraska's not Nebraska. a blue blood. So they okay. So ne you're maybe a little young. Nebraska was a gold standard program for a long time. I am just of the opinion that they're in this day and age, they're fucked. The kids could give a shit about tradition. About if anything, they hate tradition. One. Yeah, they want to go to the team that's hot right now, and they want to go to desirable locations as well. 
And that's, I think, the biggest thing that's fucked with Nebraska. Any guy you're convincing to go there, are you going to get a kid from Miami, a five-star recruit from Miami, to come in the middle of America and go to Nebraska? I mean, that's like what Wisconsin's up against as a program, being able to recruit. It's what Nebraska's up against. Any teams in those sort of regions of the country, you're just not – where there's not a wealth of local athletes to recruit, you're screwed. Mm-hmm. You're straight up screwed in this day and age. You just are. You're not going to have you be a consistently compete in today's day and age with the, with the uh, sort of landscape of college football. It's just the hard, fast truth. Sorry about you, but that's Nebraska's just, they're fucked. They're Sorry. fucked. Sorry. Until like Nebraska turns into, you know, some starts churning some better football talent out as a state. Yeah. Sorry. I love you, the sorry comments are my favorite. You need to get out of that. Sorry, right? It's sorry. All right. There's an O. Do you, is there an A? Is it S A? Hey, don't is get it like S A R I. Do you wear it around? Sorry. Your yeah, maybe. Uh, Prestige Worldwide. Which of the rookies that may have struggled last year, which is kind of expected, who do you expect to see a big jump in performance and which guys kind of make you go, dang, this guy isn't it? Ooh. Okay. And he said, also, where in Wisconsin's Mike from? Also, where in, where in Wisconsin are you from? Uh, I grew up in West Dallas and then Brookfield for like a little bit before I moved to Illinois. So, how many people there have that same right down the street? <laughs> All the cops. Um, I was just, I was just down the street from cops, which was sick. Still miss it before I moved. Um, so, big jump in performance. I was thinking Andrew Thomas, the George off tackle. That's kind of just the nature of the beast at, t- at tackle. But he showed flashes, and I thought he got better towards the end of the year. Jeffrey Akuda as well, one zillion percent. Who are guys that you might just not take that? This lead. guy isn't it. Whew. Man, let me let me quickly take a look at the draft real quick. He's not going to make that leap because um, I missed that part initially. Okay, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Oh, who the I... one that worries me. I'm, it's going to be bad to say. Tua, worried about Tua. Yeah. There's that's a fair just, take. It's a very fair take. And now, what maybe about that's Rager? unfair. Are you worried about about rugs? Rager rugs? I'm not too worried about Rager. That was, the situation was kind of cheeks there. Rugs, I could say I'm worried about. That was not a, a situation you should have excelled in. Seen a little bit more success in. I'm worried about Isaiah Wilson. Let's keep it real. I'm a little worried about Isaiah taking the next step. That was rude. That was really rude. I mean, I am. <laughs> All right, let's go. I, no, in all seriousness, do you think he'll get another crack at the NFL? No, no. zero. You don't think anybody Not will offer him? No. Okay. They got traded for a seventh round pick after being a first round pick, and then was offered. They like tried to handhold him to go to a voluntary workout, and he was on a strip mall car. I, I think this is yeah. Jamarcus Russell levels of done. You know, I think it's like when Jamarcus Russell was out, he was out. Like, did he? Did any other team even sign him after the Raiders released him? I don't think so. I think he might have floated around to a couple camps, but I think, oh, we didn't bring this up. Dude, one of the listeners sent me the picture of D. Milner. Remember we were talking about oh, D. Yeah. Milner? Dude, he's a blimp. He's, yeah. he's blown up. I didn't realize that. Guys really turned a, turned a new leaf. How If Isaiah Wilson goes that route, oh my God. Dude will turn into a monster. Be like Jabba the Hutt. Um, all right, let's jump now to CM1287. Your Bill Belichick. Your dream scenario came to fruition, and you have your choice of Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones at 15. Oh, after a trade-up, sorry. After a trade-up. Who would you pick as the best fit for the offense? See, 
I think what a Belichick's is, Belichick's is Belichick's genius is, man, part of Belichick's genius, he's never been tied to one thing. Like he will one game beat you one way, next game beat you a different way. And so I, I think he understands that offensive football has changed in the NFL, that it's not this guy for my scheme. It's this guy's talent. How do I build a scheme for it? And so who's the most talented of that bunch? To me, it's, I mean, Trey Lance might be, to me, Justin Fields is the one that offers the most at the moment to build around. Now, the scheme they've ran for years with Tom Brady, yeah, maybe Mac Jones is a better fit for that and what he does. Sure. That looked nothing like what they ran last year, though, because they had Cam Newton, and they completely changed up to his strengths and what he does best. And that's why he went on and got two tight ends. So I think he's flexible, and there's no who's the best fit for his offense. I think his offense is very malleable to who's the most talented. So Fields, Lance, Jones, in that order. As you have them on the... Draft board. PFF draft board. Yeah. All right. This is from A Johnson 061094. Here's my question. Aren't traits very mis- aren't traits very misunderstood? Take QB traits. People talk about arm strength and athleticism as if they're in this separate category, presumably because they're more innate. Aren't processing speed and how you see the field also a function of your biology and therefore also somewhat innate? Kind of like how some people have more natural mathematical and linguistic abilities. JT O'Sullivan, I think, had good comments on this because I asked him, you know, what's coachable at the next level? First thing he brought up was footwork. But I do think he brought up with processing, some guys have it and some guys don't. Mm -hmm. Some guys can process the game fast and some guys it's always a blur to them and you have to have an offense that comes down to their level, you know? And I do think that I would agree. I don't think processing can get better, but I think you can develop your offense and coach around it more than you can some other of the some of some of these other things. What? But, yeah, I was gonna say I think processing is a difficult eval. Mm-hmm. Arm strength's easy to eval. Yeah, yeah. So you gotta throw a football, how fast did it go? That one's easy. Processing, though, is such an advent of so many other factors involved on a given play. That it's just, oh, one play where a guy freezes in the pocket. Did he did he have bad processing or was the, the guy he thought he was going to go to run the wrong route. Yeah. And you just don't, you just don't know that because mm-hmm. you're on the outside looking in trying to evaluate this guy. Did he lock into a certain receiver? Did yeah. in the huddle, did the receiver say, I'm going to get open? He didn't. Yeah. Like there's a lot of that stuff that can come and, in. And a lot of that is, again, town around you and the offense that you're in and what you're getting asked to do. So this is why people are low on fields. It's because they think that trade is a static trade. Yeah. You don't improve in processing. You haven't. You don't. You're there. You're not. Um, but I, uh, But again... I think there are reasons very much baked within that offense at Ohio State and what they're running that can make him look like his processing was slower than others when in actuality, I don't think it's a big deal. And I think in a different offense, he looked much different. But they are, I I agree that they are misunderstood. Um, Especially, again, the mental traits are very, it's very difficult to Mm value. And and even like what you spoke to about work ethic and this guy loved the game. Is he going to put it in that work off field? That's a difficult eval also. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be Isaiah Wilson? Or is he going to be Luke Kuechly? Uh, Luke Kuechly was probably an easy eval, but like, yeah. No, I, I agree. And I think the other thing, it comes back to the larger conversation about draft scouting and draft evaluation overall and why so often or for a long time, production, a lot of production was never really taken into account. And it was all traits because traits, and it's not because traits matter more, but it's just traits translate. You can bank on traits translating. You bake on 
A guy being athletic in college and him being athletic in the NFL, you can bank on him having a big arm in college, having a big arm in the NFL. And it's what identifying what those traits are. Our trait is processing a trait, is accuracy a trait, is um, finishing a trait, or is it a mentality? These different things. It's identifying what actually translates. And that's, you know, you know, we had a couple questions ago about what's what's PFF trying to do. Dr. Eric Eager is working every day to get better at college to pro projections, finding actually what at the collegiate level is stable and translates to the NFL success. He's even done text analytics on Dame Brugler's draft guide to identify similarities in text, like text conversation or text pros and cons for quarterback prospects. And you see certain words used for similar quarterback prospects of previous years and that type of stuff. It's all it's all very interesting. It's all awesome. It's definitely a lot of fun. It's a big reason why the draft is so popular. All right, going back to Logan2452. I'm curious on your stance about defensive coordinators. I've heard George and Eric talk about it on the forecast, and they've said that a good defense coordinator can be as or more valuable than an individual defensive player. As a Lions fan, I look at the last three years and notice that pretty much every defender on that team had down years in that stint. Can a lot of blame be put on Matt Patricia, or was this just a poorly conducted team, constructed yeah. team? DC, a coach is more valuable than any position outside of QB. QB. It just flat out is. you got to put guys in positions to succeed. It's, and that is what, I mean, that's the heart of coaching and some guys aren't good at it flat out. So yeah. like that, that they were not putting guys in positions to succeed. I think that's very clear in Detroit. That's why he got fired. All right. This is from Montego 828. Absolutely love the pod listening since the season started. What do you guys think the Jets should do in this draft? They have a lot of holes, but a major one that isn't listed on PFF is guard. Lewis and Van Roten are dreadful, and we'll, we need to protect the QB we draft. Any options at guard at 23 or later? Also, what is your guys' opinion on Jalen Waddle being called a mid-4445 guy by Chris Sims than not running the 40? Whoa, I didn't know that. Chris Sims says he's a mid-4445 guy? Jesus. If Jamar Chase runs a 439 as pro day, I'm pretty sure Jalen Waddle will run the 4-2s. Who ran a 439 as pro day? Jamar Chase. Oh, yeah. I mean, Jalen Waddle is not a mid-4445 guy. Maybe... With that broken ankle, with the, the broken ankle, yeah, no, that's true. That's he possible. might be might be like a four sixes. <laughs> that was yeah. so bad that he went back into that game. Yeah, I mean that's why he also why he didn't run the forty is what yeah he's asking there. Um, again, I guard at twenty three is it's too early. You're, you're too many too many other positions that need to be addressed in that roster. Now, third round, Wyatt Davis on the board, Trey Smith's on the board. We talk, Wyatt Davis, Ohio State guard. Trey Smith, the Tennessee guard, sure. Pull the trigger. But that early, I would not. I would shy away. If you're going to draft guard there, that guy better be able to play tackle too. Right. I think, too, the other thing is I've seen sometimes mock drafts for the Jets at 23. They're grabbing Elijah Vera Tucker. I don't. I think he ultimately goes higher than that. I'd be really surprised if he gets past the Raiders at 17. Mm -hmm. You know, even Washington at 19. Like, I think... I, I think um, teams yeah, are going to value could him. Play tackle, though. Yeah, he could play tackle. Play yeah. tackle last year. Yeah. All right. This is from RC underscore. The Seahawks have made a couple good moves this offseason, but with only three picks, how do they approach the draft? It's interesting. Take take it easy, right? I mean, lay back. Take a year off. Um, they got to go O line, right? Like Russell Wilson's going to kill them if they don't. I, I think, and not only because it's deep, but because like their O line's still not great, and so. Yeah, pray also could help. Maybe um, examine past drafts, <laughs> see what your strategy was, do the opposite. 
something like that. Any of those issues like that. Yeah, I think you got to go, go offensive line. I would say attack low value positions because you can still get starters with late picks. You know, you could go get into your offensive line, into your defensive line. Okay, yeah, yeah. Box players. Because if you, I mean, if you want players to play in 2020, you know, or 2021. Yeah, but they, the, the, the shitty thing is, though, they also have the worst cornerback group maybe in the NFL right now. Yeah, but if you spend it on corners in those rounds, like what the, you know, you're yeah, not going to get a guy that's coming in starter. Um, all right. This is um, from Puda. Oh, this guy had a massive question here. I'll, I'll read him. Okay. Because he had like a, novel that I had picked out the three questions that he asked me. Okay. So he said, I don't understand why teams can't push money into the future indefinitely using guaranteed money. It whole theory that you keep just giving a guy a signing bonus and pushing the future. One that relies on the player staying good throughout that time. So that like, you don't want a bunch of players like, you know, guys getting hurt guys, not performing up to the whatever signing bonus contract you just gave them. And also, players don't want to play on just one massive signing bonus and then no money in the future because then they're playing on no cash. They're getting no cash to play in that year. So it does not behoove them to sit there and play for, you know, whatever, $500,000 if you put all their money as a signing bonus, gave them no salary every year uh, after that. They're just going to hold out and you're going to be screwed by that. So if you really are just giving everything up front signing bonus wise um it's 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 gonna come back to bite you in the long run um next question was i guess what i'm getting is people don't uh put the receiver in the weak link category but perhaps it is eric eager wrote a great article about this calling evaluating the importance of secondary receivers in nfl offenses and found that they are more important probably than given credit for so yeah you're right on there and then lastly lastly i'm curious why PFF rates Jamar Chase higher than Jalen Waddle, with Waddle being the physical freak that he is. One, no injury for Jamar Chase. Two, age. I think Jamar Chase is a year and a half younger than Jalen Waddle. Three, production. Just like you saw it, game in, game out, every single play. Waddle, we had four games of it this year. Size, 20 pounds on Jalen Waddle. Size matters. And then catch radius and like doing it on the outside consistently. So those are the reasons why there. All ready. Long question. That guy was going in. Yeah, he he had he had a lot of it was the longest question we've gotten. All right, this is from Mike T. Last one here. We gotta wrap up. Mike T. I know that intimidation slash killing offensive skill players isn't a big part of the game anymore. What the hell is it talking about? But who do you think is the most physical, intimidating, tone saying defender in this class? Oh, like who is okay. Maybe Nick Bolton, probably. Yeah. If I had to pick one. Nick Bolton. I still have that bet that he's gonna have a uh, roughing the passer penalty in. As a rookie, I guarantee it. He sets a big tone. All right. The second one, if you were to create an offensive line using day two and day three prospects from this draft, who'd you pick and why? All right. This is going to look like Austin's offensive line in the head-to-head draft. Why you got to bring that up? Got to do it. Um, I'd go Dylan Raiden's at left tackle. Landon Dickerson at left guard. Dude's versatile. Quinn Miners at center. Got to love it. Wyatt Davis at right guard. Jack Carmen at right tackle. I like that. It's my, it's my O-line. Sam Cosme, I think, could be on it. a fucking good O-line for I think day two guys. I, you're just hating on my offensive line in that fucking rookie draft we did. You can make a good offensive line. Yeah, but you can't make a dominant one like I got. Who cares about dominant? Like this guy said, the days of intimidation and killing people is over. Um, I wish. Uh, the I think Sam Cosme could fit in there. You kick Carmen into right guard, maybe. I don't know. I like Carmen a lot. I, was, I don't know why Carmen. probably round wonders why. You think so? Yeah. He's not on the consensus board. No. 
I'm not going to keep bringing that up. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this no, mailbag. Remember, only one more mailbag. And if we don't get to your question, man, I am so, man or woman, I am so sorry. We've been grinding. We've been trying. Okay. You send me a screenshot of this or Renner because Renner's committing to this too. You send me a screenshot of your review with the question and we didn't answer on the pod. I will answer it. And it'll be a thoughtful answer. Absolutely thoughtful. Make sure you send that our way. We have one more mailbag coming up. The bonus mailbag will drop on Friday. Um, until next time, you know, that's it. That's it. Oh, no, we have interviews. We have interviews, right? We have interviews with Trill Williams and Baron Browning. Let's go ahead and jump to those interviews. Watch the PFF Draft Show on PFF.com, kicking off at 7 p.m. on Thursday night, April 29th. Mike, myself, George Shahuri, Chris Collinsworth, Darius Butler, Steve Palazzolo, we're all going to be live all three days of the draft on Sunday as well. We're going to be live on Sunday looking at you know a three-hour recap show of all seven rounds of the 2021 NFL Draft. Definitely check that out. If the draft is on, make sure you also have the PFF Draft Show on. It's going to be streaming on PFF.com, YouTube, and Twitter. Find it wherever you find PFF currently. Definitely going to be a ton of fun there. We're going to be covering every single round of the 2021 NFL Draft. Also, big thing to note, use promo code DRAFT30. DRAFT30 gets you 30% off any PFF subscription. You can get the draft guide for $7. $7 and you have the draft guide. 1,400 pages, 300 player profiles for $7. That's all, that's all it takes. DRAFT30, promo code DRAFT30. You can also get 30% off any other PFF subscription. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can be helpful, can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, Life Insurance, Retirement and Investments, Compensated Endorser, products issued by member companies of Western Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Masvidal and Usman put on a show the last time they stepped into the octagon. Round two, sure to pack a punch. DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the UFC, is putting you in the center of this weekend's title fight with 26 to 1 odds on either title contender to reign victorious. Just bet $5 on either fighter to win, and if they walk out with the belt, you will cash in $130. Don't worry if MMA isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers great odds and promotions on basketball, hockey, and so much more. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $5 into $130 if the title contender of your choice wins. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. That's code PFF to turn $5 into $130 if the fighter of your choosing takes home the crown. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years older in New, New Jersey, West Virginia, or Pennsylvania. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now joining the 2-4 Drafts podcast is former Ohio State linebacker Baron Browning. Baron, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Where, where I'd like to start is is really looking at your pro day. You had an absolutely stellar pro day there for Ohio State. Measured in at six foot three, two forty five, ninety six percentile vertical, ninety eight percentile broad jump, ninety second percentile forty yard dash, and then the three cone. The three cone is the one that always gets me excited. Obviously, looking at that change of direction, six seven eight three cone. What was some of the feedback you got from teams or even teammates after that pro day? Obviously, a lot of hype coming out of that. Uh, they just tell me like. Uh... I guess one of the things I heard is they tell me I look fast running my 40 and I just mainly just how proud of me they were and how I killed it. And, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to accomplish, killing the pro day, just because you put in so much time for, like, being away training for pro day. So it was like I was kind of waiting for it. And our pro day was, like, one of the, the later ones, so, too. So it was like the anticipation started to build. 
Uh, I'd be interested to know, you know, what feedback teams have given you in terms of, you know, positional alignment at the next level. Mike and I on the podcast talk sometimes about, you know, there's this opportunity for you to play close to the line of scrimmage, even along the edge at six foot three, two forty five, and you have this skill set, this athleticism to have a pass rushing role in the NFL. I'm interested to know if you've gotten similar feedback from teams about maybe having that versatile role, similar to kind of how Dante Hightower was used. You know, some people project Micah Parsons to play edge in the NFL, or at least some edge, at least rush the passer sometimes. I'd be interested to know what teams. Have said about that yeah I've been hearing different things from my teams I think a good amount of teams are looking at me as a three four outside linebacker uh, a few teams mentioned DN to me uh another few teams mentioned me playing a like Mike linebacker with the uh, opportunity to be a system away or pass rusher so I guess it just depends on like what team and you know their needs mm-hmm. is there a certain role that you kind of want to chase in the NFL is there a certain role where you feel more comfortable or feel like you could be most productive I think any road that just kind of allowed me to be outside on the edge and just kind of, you know, get after the pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Definitely playing you along the edge is where I would lean as well. I'd be interested to know, kind of going back to your time at Ohio State, you know, what all went into your preparation? I like asking prospects about, you know, what exactly they look for on film from a keys or tendencies perspective as they prepare for a certain opponent. What are you looking for and what's your process as you're watching film on an upcoming uh, offense in a game? Uh, so yeah, uh, what I would do was uh, on Monday that was our off day. So our coaches to put would put it to put together like the the run cut up for the eleven uh, for first second down for the team we were playing. So I would kind of go through the cut up, um, take notes on the different formations, the tendencies, you know, what run plays they was running out of those formations, and you know, take notes on all that information. And uh, heading into Tuesday, that was our first practice of the week, and uh, it's basically first second down run game practice. So. Uh, just before practice, I would go back through the cut-up. I would give it my coach just to make sure, you know, I have the same sense of taste as him or get any also changes that uh, the D staff might have made because they have multiple meetings throughout the day before practice. And then, you know, heading to Wednesday, I would kind of do the same thing for our, the third uh, third down game plan for our pass game, third and long, third and short, third and medium, and just take notes and, um, you know, what plays they're doing out of formation and personnel groupings in the Tennessee's. And then kind of heading to Thursday, I would, like, give with my coach and just ask them what's the best games to watch at opposing team. And I would kind of get our game plan that we already have kind of pretty much solidified towards the end of the week. Just kind of go through and start playing the game mentally, uh, lining myself, you know, what's my job, what's my alignment, you know, what am I key in? And I would just kind of do that for all of the backer spots in our defense. And I would just kind of go through, watch up to halftime, see what the, the offense is doing, you know, mainly in the first 15 plays, who they are as an offense, and how, you know, whatever checks and calls I might make defensively. And I would do the same thing, you know, heading to Friday, and I would kind of go to my coach room and play the game with him, you know. So he would, you know, signal the call that we were, you know, whatever we was running, and I would just kind of go through playing the game the same way. And how much has that, you know, film study changed in the offseason? Have you had a lot of opportunity to go back and, and watch film on yourself and kind of critique your own film or watch guys in the NFL, maybe guys that you pattern your game after? Uh, yeah, I have I had the opportunity to watch a little film. Uh, I've been mostly training and stuff, but I don't went back and watch a little film just because I want to kind of stay intact with the, the game of football and keep my mental sharp. So I've had the opportunity to go back and uh, there's some things I wish I would have did differently in certain games or just kind of looking at it, you know, again, as far as maybe my alignment, uh, my initial first step, my, I might have had a false step. So just looking at little things, just trying to critique and, you know, detail. Uh, and uh, I haven't really uh, watched much right now because I've been training you know, for pro day, and then I'm just trying to get back in football shape. So, but um, definitely, uh, I love definitely watching the guys in the league and trying to, you know, pick up things they might do that or help them just to, you know, part of my own game. Are there, are, do you have like a favorite player or favorite players in the NFL that you like to watch? Uh, Yeah, I mean, right now, I love to watch Von Miller. Um, 
I love to watch uh, Shaq Barrett from Tampa Bay. Um, I don't know how to pronounce his uh, his last name, but I know his first name. I think it's like Yannick. Oh, Yannick uh, Ngakwe. Yeah, I didn't want to, you know, mess up his <laughs> last name. That's why I didn't even attempt to say it. But I, I love the way he rushed the passer. And then even some of the inside guys like uh, Fred, Fred Warner, uh, Bobby, Bobby Wagner. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome, man. Very cool. I, what do you feel like, based off maybe the feedback you've had from teams, I'm sure you've been on a lot of Zoom calls, where you feel like there's most opportunity for you to improve in the NFL? Uh, I didn't quite catch that at the beginning of that. I'm sorry. I said, you know, based off the feedback maybe you've received from teams and the Zoom calls that you've had and that kind of stuff, what, where do you feel like is the biggest opportunity for you to improve in the NFL? As far as like what? Like improve on your game in the NFL. Oh, like, like a certain area? I just want to make yeah, sure yeah, I understand yeah. the question. No, all good, okay. Yeah, definitely. Like my pastors, um, I think a lot of teams understand how raw I am in that area, and I'm, I have great self-awareness of how raw I am in that area. Not having, a, you know, the opportunity as maybe some other guys that's in this draft for us, the amount of pass rush snaps they've had, you know, so or the opportunity just to develop that area because uh, uh, it's kind of hard when you play multiple positions. You know, you can't be everywhere at once as far as even throughout the week of practice as far as getting down to Indy with the D-line while not missing linebacker Indy or trying to go down a one-on-one um, -on -one pass rush but not miss seven-on-seven. Seven. So it's just kind of hard to get everything, but that's definitely one area, you know, I'm looking forward to developing my skill set in. I'd love to hear your take on some of the other Ohio State guys. I had Justin Hilliard on the podcast recently. He's a Cincinnati guy and uh, talked about – he gave me his scouting report on the other Ohio State linebackers in this draft class, <laughs> Tough Borland, yourself, and um, obviously Pete Werner as well. I'd love to hear you know, just your thoughts on them and obviously practice with them as, as players and as teammates. I definitely uh, think Justin is like a sleeper that a lot, of, a lot of people don't know about. I mean, he's a great athlete. He can run sideline to sideline. Um, I think he definitely plays faster than, like, you know, you look at his story, but oh, no, he plays way faster than that, you know, mm -hmm. people feel with him and watching. I mean, he uh, has a knack for being around a ball. I mean, he's, you know, early on his career, he had injuries and he battled through them. And that's the only thing I feel like that's the reason people just don't know because he was injured, just dealing with injuries. But he's a hell of a player. And uh, I feel like he's a guy who can play Mike or Will. He's versatile. So, and he's a hell of a special teams player as well. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason he's a sleeper, man, is just the injuries. He talked to me yeah. about just how many injuries he's had. It's just absolutely absurd. Both biceps, Achilles, said meniscus tear in his spring ball in freshman year. Like, that's crazy how many injuries he's gone through. Some other guys I'd love to get your your, your comments on is uh, two guys that are really hard to tackle, I'm sure, on the other side of the ball. Trey Sermon, who has some of the best contact balance of any running back in this class. And then also Justin Fields, who four four athlete, big size. I'd love to hear maybe some stories about trying to practice against those guys for a few years. Uh, Yeah, uh... Trey, he he runs hard. I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head. Uh, he's a great athlete. He's fast. I mean, he we were training together. Uh, we're at the same location for our, our pro days, the same training facility. But uh, yeah, Trey runs hard. He has a he has a mean stiff form. He's not a you know easy back you can take to the ground. I mean, in our practices we don't tackle to the ground. I mean, we just kind of thud up and wrap up. So it's not like I really have to tackle him. But I, I can definitely say you know he runs well. He runs with his pass low, and uh, he's definitely uh, one of those back backs who try to deliver the blow to you first. Gotcha, as far man. as Dustin, uh, I mean, he's a great teammate. Uh, I'm definitely miss competing against him. There's been times in practice where I might have been blitzing. And, uh, you know, he's crying out the pocket, and I'd be like, yelling, that's a sack. And he'd be like, that's not a sack, nope. He'd be like, nope, stupid, I'm gone. Or just like, just cracking <laughs> jokes, talking noise at practice. Just the way uh, you would do it with your teammates. So, uh, I mean, he's a hell of a competitor, uh, best quarterback in this draft, in my opinion. And so I'm looking forward to what the future holds for him. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate the time. We can finish with this one. I'd love to hear, you know, what your motivation or your why is behind, you know, continue to play football and make the sacrifices you do to play college at the level you did and then obviously pursue a career in the NFL. 
Well, I think it's uh, just a start. I mean, just my my genuine love I have for the game. I feel like eventually, uh, at some point, you have to kind of realize how genuine your love is for it because I feel like when you're younger playing it, you know, you don't have many factors going into it. You're just playing football. You're not thinking much of it. But as you start to kind of the, – the level of competition starts to rise and you kind of get from high school to college as far as how much time you have to put into your film study, how much time you have to actually put into taking care of your body and develop a routine. I feel like if you don't have genuine love for the game, then, you know, you won't want to do those things. And, uh, you know, I, I can't realize they how genuine my love was for it because, you know, in order for me to take this next step that I'm taking as far as trying to, you know, enter into the league, I had to learn how to do those things. So for me, that's what it was. And then, you know, my why would kind of keeps me going and my parents I feel like they made a lot of sacrifices for me, not only me, but my older brother and my other siblings to have the opportunities they had. So I just, you know, I just want to make my parents proud. And, you know, I just feel like I owe my world. Fantastic stuff, man. I really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Thank you so much. Now joining the Two Foreign Drafts podcast is former Syracuse defensive back Trill Williams. And before we start recording, talking a little food here on Friday, talking Chipotle, can you please walk through your go-to Chipotle order and include the special ingredient at the back end, Trill? I need to hear this. All right, so I walk up to the front of the line, you know, um, I ask if I get a bowl. Um, I get, you know, chicken. Uh, white rice, uh, black beans, um, some queso in it, um, lettuce, cheese. And then, you know, once I get the order and I leave, I always have to make a stop and get some nacho cheese Doritos, right? You you gotta get the smaller bag, right? So you can use them all. So you crush up the smaller bag, you open it, you you pour it in there, then you put the lid back on and you shake it around. There you go. Dude, I, I mean, at first, you know, when you first told me, I was kind of blown away by it. I did, I, a little, maybe not gross, maybe grossed out. But now, the more I think about it, dude, it could be fire. It sounds kind of good. I might have to do it. Somebody, when I first got to Syracuse, uh, I, I was cool with this guy. And that's what he did. He was a, a older class, uh, upperclassman. And he put me on to, to the Dorito combination. I was like, you put Doritos in your Chipotle? <laughs> try it. And then ever since I tried it then, I've been doing it since. Man, dude, I, I've had I went through a lot of Chipotle in my college career. Never had the opportunity to do the Doritos Trill Williams order. I'm gonna have to make it happen though. It's gonna have to happen. All right, let's get into the get into the meat of the podcast here. Talk more about obviously your time at Syracuse. Where I want to really start, man, is is honestly you, know, you had a lot of opportunity to play a handful of different positions at Syracuse. I think you started mostly at outside corner, played over 150 snaps at outside corner in 2018 and in 2019, but then kind of made this transition to slot corner for the Syracuse Orange uh, over the past two seasons. What has what is your opinion been of those two positions and what has you know feedback been from NFL teams on where they want to play you in the NFL? Um, Pretty much even when I, when I got into college, uh, I saw myself as an outside corner, you know, uh, in high school, that's, you know, primarily where I played on defense. Uh, played offense as well, but you know, defense. Yeah, I played uh, a lot of corner, and when I came in, uh, that's where I was at. Uh, fall camp, they had me at corner. Beginning of the season uh, against uh, who, who we play, uh, Western Michigan, I played corner, and you know that's where I was comfortable at. And you know the team needed me to uh, move to to nickel due to injury at that position, and they felt like I was the the only guy capable of you know being able to switch and and make an impact you know at that position. So it was it was cool with me. Um, you know, as a freshman, you just want to get in the field any kind of way. And, you know, I took it and ran with it and never gave it back. So got on the field and, you know, just was playing football at that time. And, you know, teams right now, that you know, they're looking at me as, you know, some corner, you know, some nickel, some safety, which I played uh, this uh, past season. So it's really a toss-up, you know, with what teams need. 
Yeah, I think that makes sense. Fortunately for you, former four-star athlete, you know, have the build to play outside corner safety or slot if you want to, six foot two, one ninety-eight in that range. I think you know when Mike and I talk about it, the athletic profile is fantastic. But where I'd want to try it first, and I'm sure you probably agree, is outside corner. I mean, it's one of the more valuable positions on the football field. You have that opportunity to get kicked into the slot or play safety down the road. But outside corner, man, you have the length, you have the size, you have the athleticism. Let's see it, man. I'm, I'm ready to see it at outside corner out of the gate. I, I'd love to hear from your perspective, kind of the main differences between playing the two positions because you look in today's NFL you know more defenses are playing nickel or even dime of late because how often you know you know teams are trying to put 11 personnel 10 personnel out there and tight ends now are becoming you know 240 235 pound receivers at this point George Kittle Travis Kelsey it's just not fair so so many DBs have to start on the football field including slot cornerbacks and obviously outside corners what's the main difference between those two positions those two pre-snap alignments um I feel like the difference between you know playing outside and and playing in the slot, you got to be more, I say, finesse in the in the slot because there's more variety of receivers in the slot. Like like you said, uh, there's big big uh, tight ends, and then you got your Tyreek Hills that you know will come into the slot and will burn whoever's there. And you know the game is changing a lot, so you can't really put linebackers there at that position anymore. So guys like myself and you know other guys that's in this draft can can move over to you know from corner to be able to you know be in the slot. So. For me, you know, being rangy and, and being able to be versatile and play these different positions, like, for me, that helped me, you know, tremendously to, like I said, to get on the field and to, to show that I'm versatile. I'd love to talk more about kind of your given game week preparation, you know, you, what you look for specifically on film when you're preparing for a certain opponent or a certain player, a certain receiver even. You know, what keys or tendencies do you look for in, in, in the practice week? Um, I'm going to give some advice while I, while I give my answer as well. Exciting to, to you know any young guys that's, that's watching this right now. Um, what you really want to look for is you know the offensive lineman. That might sound crazy, but the offensive lineman gives the play away ninety percent of you know of the game. You know whether they're light on the hands, you know which tells you that they're not uh, they're not about to run block. You know they're about to either pull or uh, pass block. So watching them right there is, is is a big key. And you know I watch a lot of release tapes from from different uh, type of receivers and. You know, I, I like to go into games, you know, I want to know who's the backup to, to the starter, who's the, if the backup doesn't come in, who's the third string. You know, I like to be, I'd rather be overprepared than underprepared. So those two things right there, you know, watching the quarterback and his mechanics and to see him, you know, why he changed his play. Like, what did he see, you know, out of the defense for him to check the play and make the receivers run hitches across the board. So things like that really, you know give you a step in you know that's what makes me a lot of makes me different between you know a lot of different guys in this draft man i've talked to a lot of cornerbacks in this class and in previous classes i don't think a single one has brought up watching offensive linemen and looking for them to kind of help you you know with the you know with the pre-snap or with the play recognition i think it makes a ton of sense though you got to see it because like at high safety you know you beat you could beat a lot of linebackers to the play you know because you you could see the lineman you know before anything so that that plays go uh when we play liberty and i was high safety and i beat you know, the linebackers and, and the D linemen to the play because I saw the, you know, the, the lineman, you know, he wasn't, you know, pass back and I was like, all right, I'm just going to shoot, shoot the gap and, you know, get a TFL. And, and that, you know, those instincts that, you know, like you said, over-preparation combined with, obviously, you know, the, the athleticism you bring to the table is what will allow for those kind of game-changing playmaking plays the next level, regardless if you're playing slot corner, outside corner, or safety in the NFL. I'd be interested to know more about kind of your film study and your preparation and maybe how that's changed in the offseason. Have you had a lot of opportunity to, you know, turn back you know, turn back film on yourself and critique your own game or even, you know, watch guys in the NFL and, and pattern your game after those guys? Of course. Uh, you can never watch too much film, I feel like. So 
I always like even right now, like sometimes I go back and watch a game from freshman year to to see how my game, you know, changed throughout the year. So I watch a freshman year game, full game, even my demeanor on the field. You know, I like to watch that to to see if, you know, if I show when I'm tired, that what what can I do to not show that I'm tired on the field? So even watching, like, like I said, that and going back to last year's tape, uh, you know, watching my footwork and, you know, what could I have done better? And, you know, I like to critique myself a lot. I feel like the biggest thing that I took away from watching myself play is I'm always one play away of making a better play. So what I mean by that is there's certain plays that I could have had a pick on, you know, pick six, or I ended up getting a PBU or just getting there to make the tackle. So trusting my eyes and, and, you know, believing what I see on film, you know, will take me, you know, a long way going forward to the NFL. That's awesome, man. Definitely maintaining that work ethic, maintaining, you know, that commitment to film is only going to help you a ton in the NFL. Um, I'd like to use this opportunity, too, to talk about some of the other defensive backs coming out of Syracuse this year. You guys had some dogs back there, man. Syracuse Orange had some dogs. Andre Sisco has been a PFF favorite for quite some time now. Another really, really good athlete in that Syracuse secondary. And then, talk about good athletes. Fatu Melifanu was practically built in the lab. I mean, that guy's, you know, athleticism score, I think, when you look at it from a PFF perspective, is up there with some of the best we've seen from the cornerback position over the past yeah. five, ten years. So, he got his brother, too, you know, they're both oh. gifted athletes and their stature, their stature is just so, you know, crazy. Like that's, that's what, you know, NFL teams, you know, be like, I want that, you know, out mm-hmm. there on the field as a corner. So it's just 100% it's crazy. Dude. It, it, aliens I, I you know i've been doing this for a little bit now and obi melfanu coming out of uconn was one of the first yeah. players i ever interviewed and talking to him and, and seeing his frame and what he did at the combine a few years ago man it's just insane what those two dudes can do athletically um i'd love to get your scouting report though beyond obviously the athleticism and stuff talk to me about Fatu melfanu and, and andre cisco in the locker room and on the football field and what you see from them um you know with, with both of those guys you know i see guys that's that's hungry you know we all came in, uh, you know, actually me and Dre came in together, uh, you know, in that class. And, you know, we just wanted to get on the field. And, you know, if he was more, uh, he was more to himself and to his, you know, with the guys he came in with, you know, we was just, you know, freshmen mm-hmm. that just came in. And then we really molded together once we, after the bowl game win, and, and we felt like, you know, us three was the future. And, you know, we just grind together. And, you know, those guys, they're, you know, they're, they're leaders. You know, they want to they wanna be the best at everything. And, and that's why I, I gravitated. Uh, towards them because you know they wanted to win and I wanted to win myself so it was pretty much a competition between you know all of us and you know one of us pushed each other to to be the best version of ourselves so you know with those guys that's what you're going to get you're going to get one percent better you know wherever they go and and the team that they're on you know the team's going to get one percent better because you know they're going to put their their best foot forward and and want to go out there and, and show that they're the best throughout this pre-draft process how much have you guys stayed in contact I'm sure you guys are talking a ton maybe playing every some day. war zone together I don't know really every day that's awesome, dude. That's awesome. That's very cool not, that you guys said. A lot of people say, you know, their you know their best friends are in the same you know draft and and are nobody. A lot of people can't say that, and you know those are those are like my brothers, and I love both of them. So, you know, I wish them nothing but the best. That's freaking awesome, man. That's really good to hear. Um, I, I'd love to hear um more about. Uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there, but I'd love to hear more about what, what what NFL players you feel like you watch a ton of that you kind of can pattern your game after or take certain pieces of their game. Um, you know, there's three players that. Uh, I take, you know, pieces of the games and I watch a lot of film on, I watch a lot of film on, you know, Jamal Adams. Um, you know, he's, he's a real physical guy. Like he'll, he'll, he has no problem coming down and, and guarding the tight end and being in the box and coming down and making a big hit. So I take, you know, that from him. Um, another guy I watch is uh, Tyre Matthew, you know, the honey badger. Mm-hmm. You know, he's always around the ball. You know, he finds ways to dip. I should say he finds different ways to take the ball away. 
know, even going back to LSU, you know, he was just, you know, a ball magnet. And that's what I see myself as too. Uh, you know, I didn't have a lot of picks, but I had, you know, forced fumbles and I found ways to, to get the ball without getting picked. So, you know, that, that right there. And another guy I say is uh, Jalen Ramsey, you know, you know, he's competitive and people say he's cocky, but, you know, he's just confident in his game. And I feel like I, I'm confident in my game, you know, everything I do on the field and what I put on film is, you know, my best version of myself. And I feel like when I step on the field, no matter if it's offense or defense, I'm the best player. So. Three of the best defense backs in the game right there. I've always said that if you go back and watch Jamal Adams' tape at LSU, it is exactly what you look for in a safety prospect. It's like every yeah. single play, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is why you know he was drafted as high as he was. All three of those guys too, though, you bring those guys up, they play the mental side of the game as well. Jalen Ramsey especially, talk, you know, playing that mental side in terms of talking trash, getting into people's heads, playing confident, playing cocky. It's a part of it. You know, when With the wide receiver position, cornerback, tackle, pass rusher, you have so many opportunities to see the same player in a game you know where you're going kind of one-on-one a game within a game you know what's your approach to the mental side of it do you like to talk trash do you like to get in people's heads do you play confident cocky like a Jalen Ramsey um with me it, it really is just a flow to game like I just go out there and play football you know whether if it's you know one game I'm I'm amped up and then I feel like yeah I'm gonna talk this game because I feel like um I'm the best player out here I'm gonna do that uh so, some games you know it's I can't be you know, too much about myself and, and get wrapped up in, in the emotions uh, with the game. So I got to, you know, play with the team and uh, feed off them and they feed off, off me. So it's really depending on, you know, the weekend and, and who we're playing. Awesome stuff, man. Really appreciate the time. We can finish with this one. I asked players a lot of, uh, you know, the prospects in this in this process, you know, what their motivation is, what their why is to kind of continue to play football, you know, continue to make the sacrifices you do to play at the collegiate level, prepare for the, you know, prepare for your pro day, prepare for the NFL. You know, what is that driving force for you, that motivation, that why to continue to play this game? Um, I say that has to be uh, my family, you know. They provided for me, you know, since I was born and, and you know, they – took me to early morning practices, early morning workouts, uh, games that's, you know, was in Florida when I was from New York. So, you know, I just want to, uh, you know, go out there and, and give them my best and give myself, uh, you know, the best effort that I can give to them. And, you know, I just, at the end of the day, uh, my goal is to, to get a gold jacket, you know. So I just keep that in my head and, and keep pushing forward. Fantastic stuff, man. Really appreciate the time and best of luck moving forward. I appreciate it. Baron Browning, Troy Williams, last interviews of the 2021 NFL Draft for two foreign drafts. You love to see it. Um, until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, David Sofaro, Mike Quinn, two foreign drafts.